Before we begin studying Torah together, would you pray with me? Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I, I heard one rabbi talking about the, the meaning of the term la'asok, uh, to engross ourselves. And he said that there's an implication, make it your business, treat it like it's business. Don't be casual about it. You know, if you're in business, you don't just show up for an hour a week or come when you want to. You dedicate yourself in order to be successful. And even though this is not about the business of making money, this idea of engrossing yourselves in the words of Torah is about being serious in a commitment of the kind that you would be if you were trying to be successful in business. So, uh, it, it's, uh, it's a great word. This morning I want to talk about God's compassion that's revealed in his desire to repair what's broken and his desire to renew and to restore. And I can tell you this, the world is broken. I, I, how many of you can agree with that? You've had experience with something broken in this world. I think every one of us has that experience and we know that the world will continue to be broken without God's help, that only through the mercy and the redemptive power of God can this world be restored and renewed. In fact, every one of us who comes to the Lord comes as a broken person. And that doesn't mean that we are totally dysfunctional and we can't accomplish anything in life. It means something's broken. It doesn't work right. It could be our minds that don't work Correctly, It could be our hearts. It could be the way that we perceive and understand things. It could be our relationships. It could be our bodies. It could be our spiritual nature. Things are broken in us, and when we come to the Lord, he shows mercy to us to, to repair us and to renew us and to restore us. So we are like broken pots, if you will, that get repaired. It, it occurred to me, we could say we're like cracked pots, but cracked pot has a whole other connotation to it, and I can't say that we're all like that. But in reality, it is through the compassion of God, it's through his mercy and his love working together that God receives people and welcomes them closely to him. Isaiah the prophet teaches us that God dwells closely with those who are contrite and with the brokenhearted, with, with those who humble themselves before him. One of the ways that we express humility in Hebrew is to say we bend the knee. Mishtachaveh, we bend the knee. It's a, it's a word used for worship and to bow down. So we, we bow down before the Lord and we say, Lord, we, we are small, you are great. We need you. You are perfect, we are flawed. But we don't stop there. Through the death and the resurrection of Yeshua, we're able to participate in resurrection life. And we come to God broken, but we become new creations through him. So we're people who have been fixed and repaired. And this week's Haftorah is from the prophet Isaiah. It speaks about God's promise to repair, renew, and restore. 
We're going to look at two parts of this Haftorah portion. The first part is in Isaiah 49, verses 22 and 23, which I believe are very, very important because God promises to use Gentiles to restore Jewish people. And for Jewish people, that sort of goes against the grain. Because many Jews are raised to not trust Gentiles. To to think that Gentiles mean harm for Jewish people. There are some Jewish people who equate being a Gentile with being an anti-Semite. But the scripture teaches us otherwise, that God has a plan for all the nations of the world, and he wants the sons and daughters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to be a blessing to all the nations of the world, all the Gentiles of the world, and he wants all the Gentiles of the world to be a blessing to the Jewish people. That's still news to the world at large. Isaiah 49, verse 22 and 23. This is a proclamation of the Lord God Almighty. It's not a prediction from a prophet. These are the words spoken to the prophet to convey to all of us that reflect the position God himself has. And God says this, I am beckoning to the Gentile nations. I'm raising my banner for the peoples. And they, the Gentiles, will carry your sons in their arms. And they will carry your daughters on their shoulders. Kings will be your foster fathers. Their queens will be your nursing mothers. This next verse, I want to translate very carefully and at variance with some of the the translations I've read because it misses some details, but listen to this. They will approach you with humility and bow down with humbleness, as it were, even tasting the dust at your feet. And after you experience God's kindness and work in this way, you will know, says the Lord, that I am Adonai. And all of you who have been waiting for me will not be sorry. That's an awesome proclamation. That's what God says. That's his point of view. It's not what he's hoping for. It's what he's working towards. It's part of his plan. And so he is saying that God will do an amazing work on on this earth where Gentiles will take up love and concern for the well-being of of Jewish people and carry them like sons in their arms or carry them like daughters and that kings will be like foster fathers and, and queens will be like nursing mothers. And many years ago when I was reading this passage, I was thinking about King Christian of Denmark and such figures um, who stood together with the Jewish people during World War II. King Christian put on the yellow star that the Germans said the Jews had to wear. And he told his subjects in Denmark they should do the same thing. And so together, the nation stood in solidarity with the Jewish people, and almost no Jews were lost to the Nazis in that way because of that solidarity. 
And there were other examples where there was solidarity like that. And I thought, oh, this is talking about a rare and an exceptional thing. But in fact, it, it can be understood a different way. And that is that those who act like foster fathers and nursing mothers for the Jewish people will be, in God's eyes, kings and queens. They will be viewed in that fashion. Now, there's a temptation that has come over uh, many Christian pastors and leaders when they see Jewish people and see them coming to the Lord and coming in faith, they, they may start out rejoicing, hallelujah. They may even have fatherly love or, or motherly love, but they forget or don't understand that they're foster fathers. And the foster father is to love and to sacrifice and to care for as a biological father, but then to return the child to the family. That is the goal. And that is a temptation that, that is uh, very hard not to give into the temptation to hold on and to possess and to act as if these Jewish children are my children, but they're to be returned to the Lord. So all the Jewish people who have experienced kindness from Gentiles, I believe we all have important testimony about how this this word from Isaiah 49 has come to pass in our lifetimes. And I think it's important, Mishpacha, to share your experience. When you have positive experience and you have testimony of God's faithfulness to perform his promises, it's important to tell other people. Share your experience. Tell other people what God has done for you. It will have an impact that goes far beyond your own uh, circles. Well, let's continue with another portion from the Haftorah, it's Isaiah 51, verses 1 through 3. And it is also a continuation of the theme of restoration, of repair in particular. So Isaiah 51 says, Listen to me, you who pursue justice or pursue righteousness, or even pursue charity, because it's the pursuers of tzedakah, which has all three of those meanings. You who seek the Lord, consider the rock from which you were cut, the quarry from which you were dug. That's the first statement. Consider the rock from which you were cut. And consider means to think about and to, to study, to ponder, to give careful attention to. But what are we to give careful attention to? A rock and a quarry? And we start by thinking about what is a rock? It's an individual piece. And what's a quarry? It's the location of the rock, of much rock. And so we're to think carefully about the fact that we have been excavated. We have been mined. We have been cut out of something solid that's very large. And a quarry has a history, a quarry has, has substance to it, so that we don't just think of ourselves, if, if the image uh, penetrates, we don't just think of ourselves as being individuals who, who have 
no connection to anything else. One of the strengths of Western and American thinking is that we have a great focus on the value of individuals. And that is also one of our great weaknesses. We have sometimes inadequate focus on the value of groups together, of families, and of communities, of congregations even. So Isaiah 51 starts by saying, consider the rock from which you're cut and the quarry from which you were dug. And then it goes into verse 2 in a Hebrew parallelism which, which explains what the first part is about. It's another way of saying the same thing. Consider the rock, consider the quarry, and then it says, consider Abraham your father and Sarah who gave birth to you. That's the rock. Consider them. Think about them. Now that's very interesting because uh, as, as a Jew I grew up believing I was descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Amidah prayers say it so clearly. The first prayer, Avot, says um, about God, he's the God of Abraham. He's the God of Isaac. He's the God of Jacob, the great and mighty God. And he's faithful to the fathers. So I grew up thinking that's who God was. But I did not think about something. I did not think about the faith of Abraham. I thought about the Abraham connection, but not the faith of Abraham. And part of my process of turning to the Lord involved thinking about and experiencing something as I sought to know more about the faith that Abraham had. I started reading about Abraham's life experiences and his faith. And you know what happened? My heart just burned with a desire to experience the same kind of thing. And I thought, if I truly am a son of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, I truly should have some experiences with God that are like that. I want to learn to trust him like that. And that's what this passage is saying. And I can tell you that many Jewish people are aware that we're descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob without having having taken to heart the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And yet today, all over the world, this is the Haftorah portion. And so in synagogues everywhere, regardless of affiliation, this, this portion will be read that we're to consider Abraham and Sarah and their life. As is being read Isaiah 49, verses 22 and 23. So this whole passage we're looking at is, is being presented in synagogues all over the world today. Consider Abraham your father. And I think that has two sides. Think of him as your father. I, I grew up thinking in that fashion, you know, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as I said. But there's another aspect for, for some of you who did not grow up in, in Jewish families. It's this. Think of him as your father. Think of him as your father. Think of him as your ancestor. Think of Sarah as your ancestor. Even if you were not part of the physical descent from them, you have been adopted into the family. You're not on the sidelines. You're part of something greater. 
and the scriptures are teaching, consider yourself part of that family of Abraham and Sarah. They're your ancestors. So that means you carry on in their name. It means you need to know their history and their experience, their experience with God. It means it's important to know the covenant life of faith that they lived and that your life of faith is connected to their faith. That God called Abraham, as the passage says, when he was alone. Let me read to you this this additional line. It says, Consider Abraham your father and Sarah who gave birth to you in that I called him when he was only one person. And then I blessed him and made him many. Now here's the part that continues with the theme of God's compassion to repair, renew, and restore. Verse 3. The Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all the ruins. Many English translations say he will comfort or have compassion on the ruined places. But he's not really trying to bring comfort to ruined places because if you think about a building that's in ruins, the Lord's not saying, there, there, don't cry. And not only that, when that building is restored, it's not the building that's going to give thanks or praise or have Joy. Last night, Beth Wrigley showed me some pictures of uh, her bathroom, which had been completely renovated. And she was thinking about how she would get it done. It seemed beyond her reach. And her family decided to do it for her, and she received it as a gift from the Lord. And she was showing me the pictures of its condition and then its new condition. And I thought of that, and I thought, wow, this bathroom is beautiful now. And it wasn't. But it's not, it's not the plumbing that's going to give thanks. It's the people that use the bathroom. So it's not the showerhead that will say, God is great. It's the people using this. When a building is in ruin and then it's repaired, it's not the building that's happy. And so when the Lord is saying, I'm going to have compassion on the ruins, he's, he's speaking metaphorically, if you will, so that you'll understand what he's trying to say. He's trying to say there's ruin in your life. And you can think about it right now. All over the world, there are countries in ruin. Some are experiencing war. Some are experiencing uh, interracial conflict and, and uh, division. Some are experiencing terrible poverty. Some great sickness. Some uh, adversity. Some are totalitarian governments that, that are dominating and, and robbing the freedoms of the people. Some are governments that are just Corrupt, and all they exist for is the private enrichment of those who are in the government. And people who are living in those places are suffering. They're living in ruins, in ruined places. But even in, in our experience, we can, we can verify something. It's not just countries that are in trouble and broken as people. 
And each of us has broken places in our lives. Each of us has has something that's, that's not working right. And you don't have to think of this as this big tragedy in life. You know, let's say that you have a flat tire. The tire is broken. Do you agree? What do you need to do with a flat tire? You fix it. You change the tire or you repair the flat. It's not a tragedy. Do you agree? It's just a difficulty. You just got to deal with it. And I was thinking about what this passage speaks about. It's, it's, it's saying God looks at the ruins. He looks at the broken places in our lives. And he has compassion on us. He wants to comfort us. And so he wants to, to turn our desert places into places like the Garden of Eden. And he wants joy and gladness, as the prophet says, to be there. And thanksgiving and the sound of music. All of that's important to us. He, he wants anything that's broken in our lives to be fixed. So we don't have to think, oh, I don't have broken places, because broken places, you know, indicates like worthlessness, you know, like if I'm broken, then I'm worthless. Because, you know, in our society, often broken things are treated as worthless. They're just discarded and thrown away. Broken people are often treated that way. But the Lord is saying something different. He's saying, I will repair what's broken. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to repair it. And when the Lord says that, he's saying he will treat the brokenness differently. He'll act with comfort towards what is broken. He'll treat the brokenness with kindness and with gentleness and with respect and with concern and with careful attention. Last night when I was speaking about this, the Lord just suddenly sort of stirred my memory to the time when I was 10 years old and I'd been playing football, backyard football. And during that time we played tackle football. And one of my buddies was trying to tackle me. And I had been watching football on TV and I thought I could do something. You know, he, he got down to tackle me around the feet. He was sort of kneeling almost. And I thought, I'll hurdle him. I've seen people do this. And I almost succeeded. <laughs> I jumped over him and made it over his shoulder. Every part of me except for my toes. And the toes of my sneaker caught his shoulder. Yeah. And I did a beautiful flip through the air and landed on my left leg and broke it with what turned out to be a spiral fracture that went around two and a half times. It hurt. My dad came to rescue me and uh, because... You know, it was a neighborhood thing, and so some of the kids went to get him. He came down, and he said, son, you know, get up. We'll walk home. And I couldn't put any weight on it. And so I, I had to use him as a crutch, and we ended up going to the emergency room at the hospital. It was a weekend. And when we got there, they called for an orthopedic surgeon to deal with this. And the the surgeon came in. He was very gentle, very nice guy, friendly to my parents. 
And he looked at me and he just said, this is going to hurt. And you know what my response was? Thank you, doctor. No, it was nothing like that. It was, please don't touch me. (laughs) And in his gentleness and in his compassion, he ignored me. And he put his hands on my leg on above and below where the fracture was. And I just screamed out some words that ultimately meant, take your hands off of me. (laughs) And he ignored me. And so that came to mind. I hadn't thought about those details in years, but what came to mind was the Lord in his gentleness is, is not like this goofy teddy bear kind of figure You know, who's just going to say, oh, they're there. Everything's going to be okay. More ice cream, more candy. Uh, No. There are times when he says, okay, I'm going to fix this, but it's going to hurt. And you know, if you scream out to the doctor, don't touch me, he's just professional and caring enough. He, she will ignore you. And the Lord is like that. In his kindness and in his gentleness, he'll just say, as one did, this is going to hurt you a lot more than it hurts me. In order to repair what's broken. Now I want to show you some pictures that illustrate an uncommon attitude, uh, the perspective of valuing the broken and wanting to repair what's broken. Amazingly, these pictures will show you that the repairs are not hidden. Rather, they're incorporated into the beauty of the object. And the first pictures are from southern France. They're broken pots at a restored farmhouse. And the broken pots are repaired with a method called stapling, where holes are made in the shards, and then heavy wire is is used to form a kind of staple that holds together the broken pieces. Hold on a second. Yes. Broken pots. It'll be on. You can turn your focus right to there. The broken pots are repaired with staples. Now, the second set of pictures are from pieces from Japan, broken pottery that's been repaired in a completely different way. The method is called, and pardon my mispronunciation of Japanese, kintsugi, which means golden joinery, or kintsukoroi, which means golden repair. Another way of understanding it is mending with gold. And this method treats breakage and repair as part of the history of the object rather than something that you disguise. And so what I want you to do is to watch this video, and for those who are listening to this by podcast, we're going to put these videos up. So you'll be able to find them at our uh, Facebook page and also at MessianicJewishTeachingsNow.com. So watch this 30-second slideshow with me and contemplate the mercy and the compassion and comfort of God to repair what's broken in us and in our lives. So look at this, broken pots.
it'll just keep going. No, it'll loop. The Japanese have this perspective. Make the repair beautiful. Don't hide it. And embellish it with gold so that it stands out. Wasn't it beautiful to see that attitude? And rather than thinking because something is broken, it should be discarded, it no longer has value to us, this attitude is more like what Isaiah was conveying, that God knows that the things that are broken can be repaired, and he will do it. And when he does it, we don't have to hide it, and we don't have to disguise it. It becomes part of our beauty. And I can tell you, here's how it works. When God brings comfort to what's broken, it not only helps heal and restore and renew and repair the brokenness, but with the very comfort that you receive that is so helpful to you, you become able to comfort other people. And you are able to help other people be fixed with the mercy of God. So I want to pray for anyone who's looking for God's comfort and mercy and love to repair whatever's broken in your life or whatever's broken in the lives of people you care about right now and that you would have that heart of compassion that the Lord speaks about. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have conveyed to us your heart of compassion through Isaiah and that you are not ashamed of this world being broken and you will fix it. And you're not ashamed of us being broken. You will fix us. And you want us not to retreat and to go into hiding or to think that we become worthless and of no regard or that we're only destined for the trash heap. But you want us to know that in your compassion, you will repair the ruins. Thank you. Lord, pour out your compassion on us. Pour out your comfort on us. And let us... Discover how to bring your gold into the repair process. We ask this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing, and I want to remind you, we're not going to be sticking around here in the sanctuary. We're going to be going next door to the Shalom Center. And please join us for coffee, drinks, and fellowship. Let's close with Aaron's blessing. If you're standing alone, just shuffle over a little bit and stand with someone else. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ya'er Adonai p'navelecha v'yichunecha. Yisa Adonai p'navelecha v'yasem lecha shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.